my cars. I have a, a 2006 minivan and a 1996 uh, Jeep Grand Cherokee. These are old vehicles. And if you have an old vehicle, you know that one thing they require a lot of is attention and mechanics. Um, and so, but I found myself a lot with these old vehicles, especially my Jeep, where like I've gotten pretty good at fixing most things. But there's these moments where I'm just like, what, what's wrong? What's wrong? And I, so I do the thing. A lot of you might uh, like understand this moment. I pop the hood and I stand in front of the engine and I just look at it. I'm just like, speak to me. Like, <laughs> Where does it hurt, you know? Where can I help? And you just, you kind of stare. You've seen this moment on the side of the road. Somebody, some dude's car is steaming, and he's popped the hood, and you just stand there going. It's like, yep, the steam. Yep, it's coming from right there. What? And so we hit these walls. We're like, what do I do? Parents. Oh, my goodness, parents. About a thousand times a day we hit this wall. These uh, kids that we get, they come with, like, zero instructions. There's no tech support. Like, not a 1-800 number to call. Like, what? And so these things happen, like... Okay, well, they just said that. Oh, man. Okay, uh, let's see. Well, you know, so I like my mom was a pretty good parent. So I, I'll call my mom. Mom, like, this, this just happened. What did I do? And she's like, I don't know. Like, we just kind of winging it, you know? We, you think I knew what I was doing? So we hit this wall. I'm like, what do I do now? What's my next step? I, where do I go? There's no instructions. There's no signs. Where do I go? A lot of uh, you are young adults. We have a, a large group of, like, 20-somethings and people in college and especially you guys who are in college, you get sick of every nine minutes of someone saying, so what are you going to do when you graduate? You're like, I don't know, okay? I'm sorry. I didn't mean to yell. I know you just asked because you care, but I really don't, I don't know. I don't know. I picked this degree, and it just seemed like the good idea at the time, but I don't know. And now I'm on my third degree option, and what's my next step? Where do I go? What am I supposed There's funny moments like this. There's like these, these kind of you know, humorous things that we all get, but then there's the more serious things. It, it's, it's, it's crazy that I can stand here this morning and say the last month of our life has been some of the hardest month as a nation that we've ever had to deal with. It's crazy that I have to say that because, you know, traumatic events and crazy big things, they happen all the time, so much to the point we're almost like numb to it, we're a little bit callous to it, and so there's like, oh, another, another thing happened. Oh, well, what's next on my Facebook feed, right? And it's just like, it just becomes... but. To say that this last month has been some of the hardest we've ever dealt with is a big deal. I mentioned earlier, and we had a moment of silence for the situation in Las Vegas. That was huge. It's dominated the news headlines. What do we even do? It's another thing, because how can we prevent it? There's all kinds of conversation happening about it. But that was directly on the heels of some of the worst natural disasters we've ever seen. You know, you got, you got uh, was it Harvey that hit Houston, and then bam, it's like everything's falling apart. And, but before, like, aid could even hardly get set up over there, Irma's on her way, and she's tearing up Florida and everything down south down there. And, like, before the puddles could even dry from Irma, you got Maria coming through, and she's wiping out Puerto Rico. And the people in Puerto Rico right now are just, like, stranded. If anybody's asking, what do we do next? It's, it's these poor people. I just wish I had a big boat and lots of gas and could just go make trips, right? But that's not what they need. They need rebuilding. They need help. And so there's all this conversation. It's like, what do we do? What? It, is, it is so fitting and so crazy that we already had planned today to begin this new sermon series called Different. Because the message that you just heard in that video, and, and we're going to play that video every week before the sermon, it is not, uh, it's not like a quote of the Bible. So like, don't memorize this video and be like, I memorized scripture, um, because that's not what it is. But it's a very like, astute observation. It's basically, you know what? The world we live in is broken. It's a mess. But it refines us, and it points us to God. This series is called Different. 
because I think that when we discover God's love through Jesus, we can see what it means to live differently. Not only that the world can be different, but that I, that you can be different people. It can transform who we are and how we act and how we respond. Um, I've got a, I want to brag for a second on a group of people at our church. Uh, we have a, a team called, we call it our sermon planning team. Uh, they help me lay out the calendar for the year of what we're going to teach through and uh, super creative minds, super good like knowledge of the Bible. I, lo- I love this crew. We get together about once a month. And as we were playing through this different series, we decided to have some fun with this series. We decided, like one, of, one of the people spoke up and said, hey, what if for the different series we did something different? I was like, that's clever. What do you got in mind? And they were like, what if we had a different speaker every week for the series so we could get like a different perspective and a different thought as we study through uh, this book of 1 Peter, which is actually what the whole series is all about. I loved the idea. And so let me, I want to celebrate for a second. We're going to have a couple of other guys that are going to come to share with us over the next few weeks. And we're going to go through the book of 1 Peter. All throughout the book of 1 Peter, he basically addresses his audience there and then, uh, you know, consequently us as we read it today and tell us there are a lot of ways we can be different in this world. Next week, we've got, I'm super pumped to welcome to this stage, uh, Logan Penny. Logan is a UNCW student. Um, he is an amazing young man. He's a guy who has ambition of maybe one day being a pastor and doing some preaching. I've seen him uh, do some teaching and stuff before, and like I immediately I was like, hey, would you ever like to preach some at Venture Church? He was like, really? You would let me do that? I'm like, yes. As a church, we want to invest in people as they continue to get this fire under them to just share God's word. And so he was like, yes, I'll do it. And, and so he'll be here next week. So Logan's going to be here. Don't miss next week. You got to be here to hear Logan. Um, he's going to be going in. He's going to talk about this concept, different values in an unholy culture. That's a big concept, a big theme in the book of First uh, Peter. Uh, on the 22nd, the following week, this guy Aaron, who just led worship on acoustic guitar, uh, he's our worship pastor. Um, many of you have heard him speak before. It's been a while since we've heard from him. He's going to continue on in the book of First Peter, and he's going to tackle the concept of having a different calling in a dark world. A big idea, and we always talk about shining light in dark places, and some of that is found in the book of First Peter. And then wrapping up the series, we hear a lot uh, from this guy. He's a volunteer at our church. He's a great teacher. He leads our youth group. Patrick Harrison is going to uh, wrap up the series, and he's going to be talking about a different perspective through persecution. And so as we look through the book of First Peter, we're going to have some different preachers on stage. I'm pretty pumped to get to hear those guys. Today, we're going to start the book out. I'm going to introduce us to the book of First Peter, invite you to crack that thing open and to start reading it, and the concept that we're going to look at is so fitting through what we've just been through this past week and the last month. It's a different faith in trials, a different faith in trials. So uh, if you've got a Bible today, go ahead and grab it. Uh, we love to look to the Bible for the answers to life's most important questions. If you don't have one on you, uh, we have some that are scattered through the floor right here. Uh, you can also pick one up for free uh, in the lobby there where they have the coffee. We want everybody to have a good readable version of the Bible, so please grab one or look it up on your phone. Uh, that way if you get bored, you can just get on Instagram and no one even knows. Um, and we're going to be looking at the book of 1 Peter. Uh, it's a tiny little book. If it's in your printed Bible, you, it's only like two pages long, so you might miss it. It's in the very back. Uh, you can look at the index, find 1 Peter. We're going to be looking at 1 Peter over the next four weeks. And I want to encourage you to do something here. I want to encourage you. Uh, we live in a digital society where everything's on our phones. Here's my challenge for us. Bring your hard Bibles, your paper Bibles to church this month, like for the next four weeks. If you don't have them with you now, try to remember, make a note, use one of the pens provided in your cup holder and write it on your hand, unless you're here and you're a kid and your mom told you not to. Don't do that. 
but say bring your Bible. And let's get in there because we're not going to look at every single verse in the book of 1 Peter, but you're going to want to see this. It's the bigger context of the book, and you're going to read that on your own. All right, we're going to be in 1 Peter. Let me introduce this to the book uh, by, first of all, meeting um, the author of the book. The author of the book. Uh, the book of 1 Peter was written by an apostle, and his name was Peter. Yeah, John. It was John. No, 1 Peter was written by a guy named Peter. Peter was one of uh, the lead disciples. I mean, as, as, as Jesus was kind of doing all of his teaching and stuff, Peter rose to the top as really the leader among them all. Um, Peter is a dude whose life was probably changed as much or more than anybody that we get to witness in the Bible because we get to see him as he's first called by Jesus and then we get to see his progress. He goes from being this, you know, this hot-tempered, uneducated, un uh, like he's poor, he didn't have a lot of money, um, fisherman, to becoming the leader, the planter, the first pastor of the first church. Wow. And that's the transition that happened because he met Jesus. And so we see that. You can actually read his first sermon in Acts chapter 2 in the New Testament of the Bible. So that's Peter. He wrote the book. He wrote the book about 30 years or so after Jesus rose from the dead. And so we placed the book, uh, we believe it was probably written around 60 or 65 A.D., why are you telling me this, Chris? One, because I'm a nerd. Two, because it matters. It matters because there were some crazy things happening in the world in the 60s to 70s uh, years, A.D. Uh, you might remember this is the time when the Roman Empire is kind of at its peak. It's the first century. And there's some stuff happening in the Roman Empire that we're going to get to in a minute that really begins to impact the church. It's actually the reason that Peter writes this letter to these people because of what's happening in that time period. Um, and so... That's who wrote it. That's when it was written. Let's find out who it was written to. We're actually going to meet them. We're going to open the book. If you've got it already, we're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, very beginning. Let's meet these people. Let's read. It's going to be on the screen behind me too if you need it. It says this. To God's elect, exiles, scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and, and Bithynia. Uh, by the way, these are Roman provinces in what is modern-day Turkey, uh, they used to call that area Asia Minor, and so I'm going to refer to it as Asia Minor. Incidentally, my dad was in the Air Force, and we were stationed at Injurlik Air Force Base in Turkey. I was born in Turkey. That's kind of an interesting fact about me, so these are my people. So this is a book. I feel like it's written to me. Um, so right to this group of people, these are Christians, and they're living in a world uh, of, of, of Greeks and Romans. That's kind of the world they're living in. Verse 2. These people who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkle with his blood, grace and peace be yours in abundance. Um, so this is just a passage. We can just leave that up there and you can kind of pick through it as I talk about it because one of the most beautiful descriptions that we get in the Bible of God's people is a word that we find in this passage. The word, you see it in verse two there, chosen. Having been chosen, I think this is a really rich and beautiful biblical description of the people who are serving God with their life. Uh, being chosen. Being chosen is a special feeling, isn't it? Like, do you remember recess in third grade when you went outside to play kickball and the cool kid, who was never me, but the cool athletic kid, he's the one who gets to pick teams, right? I'll have Billy, I'll have Jane, I'll have Tommy, I'll have Susie, and then you're standing there like, pick me, pick me. At least don't pick me last, right? Being chosen is a special feeling, but this concept of being chosen many times in the New Testament is paired with another idea, which is even deeper. Not only is it about being chosen, many times that word chosen is paired with the word adoption or adopted. Talk about a really special choosing. 
Like a lot of us have biological children, but I know a few of the families in the room right here, uh, either you were adopted and you're an adult now, or you have adopted children, and that's a special choice. Of all the children in the world, we chose you, just like you are, right? It's a very special, and so that's a description, the way God feels about us when we come to him. He has already chosen us, and he's willing to adopt us into his, into his kingdom. Um, Peter, our author here, he may have understood the concept of being chosen in a more special way than anybody, or at least him and only about 11 other guys, because Jesus literally handpicked Peter, chose him. Of all the people living in that region at that time, he said, hey, I'm forming a little posse of people to start a whole new revolution of faith and connecting with God. Peter, I want you to come and follow me. So Peter understood this, but not only that, Peter was also chosen by Jesus to be the leader, the spokesperson of these people. And Jesus says to him, listen, I'm, I'm going to kind of open up the gates of heaven because of this confession that you've made. Peter was one of the first people to say, I believe that you're the Christ and the Son of God. Chosen. So Peter understands this concept of chosen, being literally handpicked by Jesus. Uh, we're going to look at this verse again. So these people in Asia Minor, he's telling them, he says, you've been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. God knows us foreknowledge. Don't, don't overthink that. God just knows. He knows past, present, future. It's, time's not a big deal for him. He looks and he sees it. He knows the decisions we're going to make. He chose us according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. Logan's going to touch on that a little bit more next week, but to be obedient to Christ, sprinkled with his blood, grace, and peace to you. I could unpack this a whole lot, but th- this is what I want to say here, that God, he knows us all. He knows us. And he chose us anyway. Jesus makes this comment. He says that God knows us so well that he even has the hairs on our head numbered. It is very specific and a little crazy. Like, God, you know me that well? That means you know about what I, oh, right? God really knows us intimately. But the beauty of that is he knows us. Even our bumps and scrapes and warts and moles and ugly decisions that we've made, even he knows all that. And he's like, but I still choose you. I still choose you. I, I knew you were going to mess up. I knew you were going to have failures later. I still, I still choose you. And so we've got this guy, Peter. We've got our audience, the people of Asia Minor, and by extension, because the truth is still true for us, us, but those people. So now we have a bigger question, okay? We're getting into 1 Peter. That's what this setup week is about. The bigger question, especially when you study the Bible, and I want to teach you this if you've never heard it, it's really important when you look at a book of the Bible that you're studying to understand that not all the books of the Bible were kind of created equal. Like they're all God's inspired word we can learn from them. But they were all created at different times, for different reasons, in different contexts. First Peter then, the question we want to ask is, what's the purpose of this book? Well, the purpose of the book is this. Basically, Peter wrote it originally as a letter. And, and you might know that a lot, a lot of the New Testament, the majority of the New Testament of the Bible is letters written by the apostles to the early churches. And so Peter wrote this as a letter. You've probably written a letter before, email, text, snail mail, some kind of birthday card, right? And the one thing that I understand about writing things is that the occasion of the letter makes a big difference. Like if it was a birthday card, You'd, you would just be, you keep short and sweet, like happy birthday, some corny joke. They're not even going to read it because they're hoping there's a gift card or a $20 bill inside, right? That's the purpose of a birthday card. But like if it was a love note, well, you're going to see different kinds of words, more flowery language and inside jokes and sweet, cuddly words and like, and you know, don't let my friends read this, but you can read it, right? That's, that's kind of like the, the occasion of a love letter, a legal letter. You know, if you've ever had to deal with one of those, ugh. Uh, they're like, 
for, they have to make the paper extra long because there's too many words, <laughs> and it's like they're very specific words, very carefully chosen big words that you would never use in common, common conversation. That's the occasion. That's the purpose of that letter, okay? So what's the purpose? What is the reason and the um, occasion of Peter's level, letter here? Well, uh, we're going to see some clues all throughout the letter. Uh, several times throughout this letter, he's going to give us some clues to the occasion that we're writing in, uh, but in a nutshell, and I think something's really going to help you, uh, hopefully you'll read this book on your own as you go home this week, the occasion of this letter that Peter is writing into is basically the idea that there is a serious suffering going on amongst the Christians. There's some pain, there's some trials that they're dealing with. And he writes them this letter saying, listen, I know times are hard for you right now. Imagine the world that I just described. You know, the hurricanes and then the shooting, and there's pain, and there's suffering, and there's trials. And it's in this occasion that Peter's writing into. Something bad going on. We're going to get into the details of that as you keep reading through the letter. But it makes sense that it opens up the way that it does. Because Peter starts out with these really encouraging things. Remember, you were chosen by God, by his foreknowledge, washed in his blood and sanctified. Grace and peace be to you in abundance. And then he continues kind of this positive stuff. He's writing it as if he's writing to someone who really needs to pick me up. Because these people did. Let's just keep reading. Verse 3. He continues that idea. Praise be to God. And the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, in his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish or spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. And so he starts out, as he talks to these people, with a huge reminder uh, he's giving them some encouragement. What I want to do is kind of break, we can just leave that whole passage up there. Actually, I think there's a slide that's going to break it down more. Um, we're going to break down these things because basically what he's saying is, listen, I know times are tough for you. I know there's some suffering, there's some pain, but I need to remind you of the promises of God. I want you to know if you're here this morning and maybe you haven't openly professed, like, I want to be a Christian. You've never told your friends and family, like, I'm making the change. You've never made the commitment to get baptized and, and accept that gift and all that stuff. Like, you've never done that, but you're here that means something. Maybe you just really love the person that you came with. You're like, I'll keep coming to church. Or maybe you're curious or you're interested. What I want you to hear especially is this list of promises that Peter has just read to us. And maybe you didn't even see them, but I'm going to bullet point them out so we can see. And for all of us, it's a reminder. These are the promises. This is the fine print of God's deal with us. Let's look at them. First, he says this. He says, in his great mercy, he has given us new birth. In his great mercy... Christ has given us new birth. This is like the biggest thing with Christianity. It's sin separates us from God. It makes us spiritually dead. But Jesus says, through me, you can find new birth. And this is where we get the concept of you get a second chance, a third chance, a fourth chance, 157th chance. We get all these chances because of God's grace and his mercy in his mercy, he's given us new birth. We get this concept, if you want to jot this down, 2 Corinthians 5.17, one of my favorite verses. It says that anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone and the new is here. He's given us new birth. That's a promise. That's the first one. Let's just keep going through them. There's several. He's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So many times the apostles, they, they staked their whole faith on this 
the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Did you know that all of the original apostles, except for Judas who betrayed Jesus, and that's a whole different story, but the other guys, every one of them eventually died as a martyr because they believed this? For me personally, as I wrestled with, did Jesus raise from the dead? Is that really true? Uh, there's like, you can do a lot of studies on it. We have a class called Venture Basics that we'll probably offer again in the spring. We talk about that. But f- for me, of all the, the evidences and the logics and the proofs, the biggest convincer for me was that the apostles believed it enough that every one of them gave their life for it. Like it's one thing for like, hey guys, let's just, let's buy the story, okay? Let's say that Jesus rose from the dead. And they're like, hey, they killed James. Oh, they killed James. Oh, shoot. Okay, we need a new story. And then maybe the second guy dies. But eventually some of these guys are like, okay, I'm out, I'm out. But every one of them, down to John, who didn't die by a sword or something, but he actually got exiled to an island and starved to death. They believe this. And so this is a promise that we've been given a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. If Jesus can raise from the dead, he can raise our souls to life. That's the promise. This is a big deal. And he calls it a living hope. See, there's so many other things that we put our hope in that are just dead in the water. Man, if I could win this bet, we're going to get right back where we need to be. If I could get this job, if I could get this degree, if I could just make this marriage work out, if I could just make these kids listen to me for five minutes, everything would be okay. But like we put our hope in these things, but some of them work out, some of them don't, but they're dead in the water. The only thing that is really living is the hope that Jesus gives us. Keep, Keep going. It's not only that. He says, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. You ever gotten an inheritance before? Um, I've only gotten really one like true inheritance in my life. My grandfather passed away about uh, 16, 17 years ago. And we missed him. It was, it was hard. You know, you've lost people. Uh, but it was really cool that he thought of us, the grandkids, in his, in his will. And so we got some money out of it, and we got some special items that were his. He was a big uh, a World War II buff, and he had like some rifles and some memorabilia. And that was neat to pass around. But here's the thing about this inheritance. That inheritance is not going to last forever. In fact, the money that I got, um, it's gone. It's gone. Uh, I bought a really sweet, uh, it was like 2002, I bought a really sweet digital camera. You know that thing's in good shape right now. 3.5 megapixels, baby. I think my memory memory card was uh, 16 megabytes, okay? I could take like 20 pictures. And at the time, it was really cool. I'm like, you know, I went on a missions trip. I took all these pictures. And I remember when I took pictures and I put them on my laptop that was this big. I, uh, I remember like, hey, thanks, Granddad, for like this thing that you've, you know. But that, that's gone now. And even, even the cool stuff that we inherited that like is more lasting, like someone could break into my house tonight and it'd be gone. Like inheritance in this world doesn't last. But Jesus says, I can give you a promise of an inheritance that will never perish or spoil or fade. And let's make no mistake here. This this conversation is a conversation about heaven. In the modern church, we don't talk as much about heaven or hell as maybe our grandparents did um, because it just, honestly, it's kind of hard to understand. Like, I've been looking at this for a long time, and I got a lot of good educated guesses based on Scripture, what heaven and hell is all about. But, like, I don't completely understand it. I would be a liar if I told you that I did. And you are, too, if you think that you do. Because we don't know. We haven't seen pictures there's no heaven Facebook account that's giving us live streams. Like, we don't know for sure. But here's the thing I can tell you for sure, without a doubt, about heaven. There ain't nothing like it. It's eternity in the presence of the living God. It's the ability to approach his throne in full confidence. It's having our sin completely wiped away and the opportunity to be tempted and sin again is gone. 
And the other descriptions we get of heaven are beautiful. And Jesus says, listen, there's a lot that's in this world that just stinks. Trials and suffering, they're going to happen. But I can give you an inheritance that will never perish or spoil or fade. And then he says in verse 6, In all this, in all these promises I just reminded you of, in all this, you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. There's a lot of debate over exactly what grief and trials he's actually talking about. But suffice it to say that what was happening in the world right now is that there was a lot of persecution against the church. And it really depends on exactly when this was written about how bad it was. But there was at one point an emperor named Nero who got to the point where he was like having fun just killing Christians, lighting them on fire and setting them on stakes as street lamps, like that kind of crazy mess. Okay, this was either during that time or the period of time that was ramping up to that, but it was bad for Christians. The Jewish uh, leaders were still hunting them down and trying to make them renounce their faith or die. And then there's just like regular trials, right? We've got those still now in America as Christians. And so he, I love this kind of understatement. Like it seems that for a little while you've had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. You know when you're talking to someone who's hurting, you don't have to give them a lot of detail about what they've been through because they know. So I don't think there's any surprise here that Peter doesn't like go into a lot of detail about exactly what they're going through. Peter calls this suffering and griefs, which brings me back to the month that we've had as a nation. And man, you know, it's no fun. It's no fun to turn on the news. When, when Jimmy Kimmel's like got to be serious, you know, things went bad. He actually said that. He's like, stop making me do sad monologues. What do we do in the face of suffering? When we go through all kinds of trials and griefs of many kind, like there are people in Houston and Florida right now who are looking at a building with no roof, and they hit this wall, and they go, what do I do from here? What's my next step? There are people in Puerto Rico asking, hello, what are we going to do? Elderly people are dying, and we don't have drinkable water and no electricity, and what are we going to do? There's victims of the families of the situation in Las Vegas who are hurting right now. There are people who are angry, and they're just standing up against that wall going, what do we do? What's the answer? Or let's zoom it into your heart, to your home. What's happening in your house right now? You hit a wall. You're like, what's happening in my marriage? What's happening in my finances? What's happening with these kids? What's happening with these neighbors? What's happening with my depression or my anxiety? What's happening uh, with uh, all, all these things that just, this addiction that I'm dealing with, this temptation that never goes away, this regret that I have? Like, what do I do? Where do I go? And we get to these little junctures and we wish that God would say, oh, I'm glad you asked. Thanks for praying. Okay, now take this uh, special pill and click your ruby slippers together. Say this magic prayer and it'll all go away. And I just wish, I just wish that that was God's plan. But apparently it's not. And he actually has purpose in it. Wait. So God's not just going to sweep our pain away? Look what Peter says to these people. He says, verse 7, he said, These things have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, which, by the way, is of greater worth than gold, which perishes, perishes even though refined by fire, that it may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. God's goal is not just to make everything better. His goal is to refine us so that we can realize 
I can't fix this. I've got to go to the only one who can. And it may not happen even in this lifetime. But I've got a promise of my soul being given life and eternity with God in heaven. And if you're skeptic of that, we step back and go, that doesn't seem like a big like, promise. But if you've begun to walk in it, you realize it makes a difference. Because you start to see that this world is not my home. There's something so much bigger that I can grab onto and find hope in and faith in. There's this process that we go through in suffering. It's, it's, it's alluded here in her first Peter. Uh, James, who is a half-brother of Jesus, he writes a book called James. And in James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, he kind of outlines this process. Let's just look at it. He says, So consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. What? That time out. Like, that is counterintuitive. Consider it pure joy. When you face trials, that's why I'm having a hard time getting back into the gym right now because I haven't gone in a couple of months. I'm like, I don't like to be sore the next day. I don't like making time like this. It's painful. I'm supposed to be like joyful in trials, but this is even bigger than going to the gym. Verse three, he says, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. You know that from going to the gym or like you might have heard the rumors. <laughs> That the more you work out, the more endurance you have, the more strength you have. Testing of your faith produces perseverance. So let perseverance finish its work so that you may be made mature and complete, not lacking anything. Last week we talked about faith, uh, and I compared faith to a muscle. And I said, you know, the more you work your faith, the stronger it gets, the stronger it gets. But what this does, it actually shows us the workout plan. Like if you want to work your chest, you would want to do maybe bench press. That's the name of the workout, right? If you want to work your faith, you know what the workout's called? Brace yourself. Suffering. Can you believe this guy's preaching this today? Ain't nobody going to come hit this church anymore. Like if I was to gather around a group of excellent marketing geniuses and I said, guys, we want to we come up with a new slogan for our church, right? Okay, because... We really want everyone in the city to know about Jesus, and we want their lives to be changed. We want their faith to grow. And I came to the table, I was like, listen, this is going to be good. This is going to be our new slogan. Come suffer with us. It'll be great. <laughs> Nobody would come. But here's what I know is true. There is never a time in world history where people's faith grows more than when they're suffering. You take it back to these people Peter's writing to. The church grew like wildfire. People are killing them and they're like, yay Jesus, because I'm realizing, I'm realizing that this world is not my home. I'm understanding that it's evil and it's sin and it's darkness that's causing all of that. And when I find Jesus, my soul has changed. My outlook on life has changed. And you fast forward throughout history and you see it all over and over again, but you guys remember 9-11? Man, you ain't never seen more people in church than 9-12 People turn to God when they don't have anywhere else to go. And then when they land there, they realize this is where I was meant to be in the first place. That's God's plan to grow us. I'm sorry, it wasn't my idea. I was hoping for ice cream. <laughs> but he said, listen, consider it pure joy when you face suffering. Because when you get through it, it'll develop a perseverance in you that will allow you to know that God is bigger and he's better and he's stronger than any boogeyman you're dealing with. And Peter wraps it out. 
And he gives us the biggest hope of all in verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. By the way, that's like a really short sentence that describes faith. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and you are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. I can't explain it, but I've got peace. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. In the aftermath of suffering, we stand in front of the mess and we go, what do I do now? And Jesus just says, trust in me. Turn to me. Live like I'm telling you to live. And trust in my promise that it is going to work best for you that way. we're, We're talking about being different. Different. What does it mean to be different in the face of suffering? Well, the answer to that is not as... Easy, as I wish it was, but it's powerful. Because of Jesus, we're able to face our suffering, our trials, our confusion, the mess. We're able to face it with a different kind of faith. Faith that says, it's not always going to be like this. This is not going to last forever. Faith that knows that God has already gone to bat for us, and he's given us the victory You know, uh, the coolest thing about this, I love to always bring it back to Jesus, and the coolest thing about the suffering thing is that when Jesus looked at the whole world, and he said, okay, I I have a plan, and I'm going to connect mankind to God's love. I'm going to do that. Here's my plan. My plan is I'm going to choose to suffer. Do you know that? Jesus came to earth. That's God in the flesh, and his choice was that he would give his own life. Hebrews chapter 12 lays it out. You should totally read Hebrews chapter 12 this week. Hebrews chapter 12 lays it out, and it says that, For the joy set before him, Christ endured the cross. What was the joy that was set before Jesus? It's the promise that Peter just talked about. The salvation of your soul and my soul. That was the joy. He said it's worth it. It's worth it to go through this pain myself because on the other end of it is people being reconnected to me. And the same thing can be true for you. What's the purpose in all this? Why? I don't know. I don't know. But what I do know is that God can use it to grow you to build your perseverance, to show your faith is real, and on the other side of it, we can say, God is bigger. Consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. That's different. That's different faith in trials. Let me just pray with us today. God, you said it all, so I just say thank you. You give us a different faith in our trials, and you give us the opportunity to be uh, renewed and made whole through you. God, thank you for that. I thank you for that chance to uh, be made new. Lord, help us this week as we deal with whatever trials we're dealing with in our life to not just take this as like a token Christian statement thing that we can like skip this one and get to the ones that are like a little, a little more fun. But instead, we take it as really good advice from a, the greatest workout counselor ever as we get our, our spiritual fitness in shape. And you say, listen, just Consider it pure joy. Look to the cross and celebrate the life that we get through you. God, you are good, and we thank you for that. And pray in Jesus' name. Amen.